0: Welcome to the Sheridan Sport Backpage Podcast, where we hear from influential and inspiring figures from across the business of sport. Today I'm privileged to be joined by Abdul Buhari. Abdul is a good friend of Sheridan's, having been an Olympic athlete, competed at elite level, including at London 2012. And we speak to him about his journey to the London Olympics, his transition to wealth management, and some of the fantastic stories along the way. I hope you enjoy it. Abdul, thank you so much for um, coming on to um, the Sheridan's Back Backpage um, podcast. We've been doing these things now for about, well, actually since sort of February time, sort of beginning of, um, or end, beginning of the end of the lockdown period, really, just as a way to um, connect to like-minded people, to talk about... Um, People's stories that we find um, are quite interesting, and and sort of the great thing is we've developed a good friendship over probably the last couple of years now, and we couldn't think of anything better than to try and get you on and invite you to chat about um, loads of things. I was mentioning beforehand in the prep, it's like you've already lived such an incredibly interesting life, and I feel I, I felt a little bit exhausted actually when I was after I was doing all the research for <laughs> being like, oh my god, he's done this, he's done this, and we'll get onto all of that as well, but. Firstly, th- thanks so much for, for joining us today. It's wicked to have you on and um, and um, hopefully we'll get to some interesting bits and pieces, surely.
1: Uh, thanks very much, Dan, and, and the Sheridan's team. Um, I'm delighted you asked and I'm um, really looking forward to just, I guess, sharing my, my experience and thoughts um, so far. It's been a bit of a, a strange year so far. So, yeah, it's nice to be doing something uh, really upbeat. Well, I'm really glad. Well, I I was
0: actually trying to work out about where to actually start our conversation is the truth. And I was thinking, am I going to do it chronological? Am I going to do it um, by the main events? Are we going to do it about particular experiences you had? And the the first thing that I I don't want to sort of go on too much about all the um, background and stuff, because people like literally can Google you and there's tons of cool stuff um, uh, in terms of backgrounds. But by way of at least brief background, I mean, you have come from an elite sports background into uh, and pivoted and transitioned into then a um, you know wealth management role at Credit Suisse um, to incredibly different um, uh, lifestyles um to incredibly different skill sets. So, if I can and just do one thing first, is to ask um, because obviously you are and have been an Olympic athlete um uh, and uh, a fantastic discus thrower can i ask maybe i know we've talked about it before why the discus
1: um it's it's literally um by accident so used to live uh in a council estate in brixton in angel town um and uh my parents didn't want me to get involved with anything unsavoury so I was a church hall not too far from the estates there and um, I joined a scouts group there. So every Friday I'd be there um, after school uh, with the other kind of the older guys and there was one particular evening, it was like a sports themed evening, and I happened to throw a ball accurately from one side of the hall to another side of the hall into a bucket. I think I did it six times in a row, straight into the bucket. And it was at the time, I mean I didn't think anything of it, but clearly um my Scout leader um the late Stan Allen uh, recognized something and took me down to um to Timbeck track and that was my first um first experience of one ever going to a track um and then two just being exposed to athletics. Um and at first I was probably more um more involved in the track events than I was the field events. Um and then I realized then that I, haven't been taught by my first coach, Mike Winch, that I actually do really enjoy the discus. But I didn't actually take it up more seriously until 2000, after watching the um, uh, Athens Olympics. Um, I was inspired when I saw uh, Vigurinius Alekna uh, win a Lithuanian discus for 370 meters. And I, I, was, I was literally in awe. And uh, ever since watching that, I thought, yeah, I, I, I want to do that. And um, the rest is history.
0: I'm I'm fascinated in athlete mindset, motivation, inspiration stuff. Generally, I, I read something I was doing a bit of research that your first Olympic memory was Limford Christie in the '92 Barcelona Olympics, um, and and then how from '96 onwards you obviously were completely transfixed, and that almost became maybe your anchor, your the anchor motivational particular things. Were there particular things throughout the process that you were thinking of when you were developing your skill and, uh, in, in the discus, you were like, this is why I want to do it, this is how I'm going to keep on doing it, this is why I want to do it, all, all, all of those things, or was it simply just a matter of, I quite like doing it, I like the routine, and why not keep doing something that I'm quite good at?
1: Um, to be honest, to begin with, um, it was just purely, I really enjoy throwing a discus, I really enjoy being strong, powerful, quick, I enjoyed the training, um, and I wanted to be good at it. As I got better at uh, just competitions and just um, harnessing my skill, it became something where I I just really wanted to be the best I can be in it. So I became uh, just a massive self-critic of myself. I wanted to, so if the target was say, I don't know, to throw 20 meters, I wanted to throw 30 meters. The target was 30 meters. I wanted to throw 40 meters, and even if I throw in a PB, in say a competition, I was saying to myself, actually, I want more. I was never satisfied. Um, and whilst in, whilst that can be a good thing, it can also can, it can actually be a challenge because I think as a as an athlete or just generally as a person, you've got to just be able to embrace the small wins. Um,
0: and and, I, and I think
1: team. yeah, and I wasn't very good at that. Um, not to begin with, I, I always found myself, I was frustrated, I didn't achieve more. Uh, and it was similar in the, in the gym too, or on the track. Uh, we'd have timed races uh, over 30 meters or, or we have to do a standing lung jump or whatever it was. And even though I'd done well, or I'd jumped a PB or I'd run fast, etc. I always wanted more, I wanted to do one more extra. Um, and as I got older, I think making that transition, I think from, if you like, County national athlete to international elite training uh, full time, I recognized that uh, Rome can't be built in a day. And I needed to accept my small wins and then table them and come back again and grow. Um, and that, that maturity only comes, I think, only came from me changing my environment from Southwest London, Crystal Palace to Loughborough University, where I was around many other elite athletes across several different sports um and then in that environment you just see that everybody's aspiring for the same goal which is to be better but equally recognizing that once they have achieved that goal they accept it and then rebuild um and then that that kind of then said to me said to me that okay i needed to try and calm myself because i was if you like i I'm quite a, um, I'm the type of guy that doesn't sit down easily. I, I literally like to keep busy. I always want to do more. I always want to, I'm always inquisitive. Um, I want to find out why things happen or, or what can be done to improve. So for me, I I, I just needed to understand that sometimes winning only was it a good thing, but it was also tough for me to accept that I had worked hard, accomplished my goal, but also worked towards something new. And at the time, I think for me, um, certainly when I was younger, I I, I, I struggled with that. And I think if I'm being entirely honest with myself, even today, there are small wins in my life that I I um I don't celebrate. Um, and I'm, and I'm starting to just learn to improve on that train. Uh, it's taken time, but yeah, we're getting there.
0: Don't get me started on that. I mean, I could go on all day about the the type of things where. You know, you, we berate ourselves when things aren't great, but can't celebrate stuff when things actually are, are good. And it's not necessarily to go out and party for a week, but almost take the, um, the kudos of a job well done and yeah. congratulate yourself for, for doing that and taking a second to breathe and, in, and sort of soak it in a little bit. So um, you go from uh, South London to Loughborough at what point did you actually realize, um, being obviously in a very different environment, that you were um, good enough, if you kept on practicing, to, to obviously get to Olympics to be a GB athlete and to be sort of um, in, the, you know, in the elite band of athletes? And did that spur you on? Did that um, create more pressure? Did it invoke different types of emotions at that point?
1: Yeah, a really good question actually. Um, it's one I think it's probably quite close to my heart. So um, I started Credit Suisse in 2007. In 2008, uh, Lehman's, for those who aren't familiar, went into administration, effectively just went bankrupt. Um, and then I was working um, very, very long hours, the earlier hours of the morning. That same year, I was also trying to qualify for the Beijing Olympic Games. Um, a very, a very long story short, I, I missed out by 70 centimetres. Um, massively, massively disappointed um, uh, and clearly very frustrated. Um, not long after that, we'd won the opportunity to hold 212. Uh, and I, I knew that I had to make a choice then. It was either quit athletics and focus on in career or find a way of actually Turning that disappointment into something more positive and making the London Olympic Games. Um, I, I chose. I chose to follow my passion uh, and relocate to to Loughborough. And for me um, to this day, it's probably the, it literally is the best decision uh, I've made in my athletics career. Uh, I, I relocated there to a coach at the time, so I left my old coach to a brand new coach, new environment. I'll be. I'll be. Um, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't certainly nervous, anxious. Uh, I was moving to an environment that was the unknown. Although I competed at Loughborough, I've never lived there uh, and trained uh, full-time. Most of my training uh, leading, leading into Loughborough typically was in the evenings and on weekends. So I've, I've gone from that environment to now training uh, in the day, two sessions a day, sometimes three sessions a day. Um, with a very comprehensive program, um, which in the first year I was I was all beaten up. I was absolutely shattered mentally and physically. Um, but it did me the world of good, um, and I knew I knew if I could withstand that training, I'd be up there. I was confident, not necessarily um, at the time in my technique, but certainly confident that I could accomplish my goal. And the reason I felt so strongly about it is having worked um, the hours I was working and missing out from such a small margin for me demonstrated that there was more in the tank um, and I just needed to focus a little bit more on that. Uh, and more importantly, give myself the opportun- the best opportunity to accomplish my goals. So um, I went down from, if you like, five days a week to down to two days a week at Credit Suisse. Um, and having, and then relocate to the Loughborough. So my typical week would be uh, Monday and Tuesday in the office. And then Monday evening, I'd train at Crystal Palace and it would be a weight session. And then I'd travel up to uh, Loughborough on a Tuesday evening and by first thing Wednesday morning, uh, I'd be uh, doing a session, a morning session. It would be weights followed by core and then a throwing session. Uh, my throwing sessions would typically so I'd be doing in excess of, I don't know, 80 to 90 throws um, a session. And in the peak of the winter, the height of it, I was doing uh, probably 100 to 110 throws a day. Um, so my volume went up um, massively. But I think the volume itself is what I needed, Not notwithstanding the fact that I, I clearly need to improve my technique, but I just needed to get a base of of throwing in me and this is not similar to say if you were um, a sprinter most sprinters can run one race and run i don't know 10-1 10-0 but can you run 10 races of season at a consistently high level and effectively those throws were enabling me to get one to solidify my my technique and two to get a base um throwing strength in me to enable me to withstand um an athletic season uh, and if I wanted to be amongst kind of the best guys in the world, um, which was my ambition—not not to be the best guy in the UK—then uh, uh, I needed to put in that amount of work. And that that amount of work, to begin with, was like anything—it's tough, it's not enjoyable, it's it's just the donkey work. But eventually, as you see, you start to see—I I come back to it again—small gains, small wins. Um, you start your confidence starts to build. Um, you, um, you you um, you, you're, you look forward to training, um, you aspire to want to do more, and, and then hopefully you, you see the benefits of your hard work in the season. Um, sadly for me, the 2010 season was not um, a success for me, so I actually had uh, a couple of career-threatening injuries, so I tore my right adductor off the bone um, that season, and the left one, grade three, So both adductors, effectively, right and left, uh, were completely gone, which which uh, I was devastated at uh, emotionally. And um, it would have been my first opportunity to go to the Commonwealth Games in t- 2010 to, uh, I think it was held in Delhi. I was selected for it and I, I didn't go to it. So I had three options available to me in terms of remediating the adductors. The first was to have an operation similar to like almost like a hernia to, to, to fix both the doctors. Um, the second was to get a, a, a cortisone or some sort of steroid injected in there so I could, and they, it would enable me to compete at the come off games and then come back and remediate the actual um, injury and to not um, do either of those two options and to just focus on conservatively um, rehabbing it. I, I chose the latter which is just to conservative rehab it. Um, and for me, I, I chose that because I was more focused on long-term rather than short-term goals. I knew that I wanted to throw the discus for at least another five, six, seven years. Um, and and there clearly was an inherent issue or weakness in that area. So it comes back to, again, foundation. Fix the foundation and anything else can withstand um, the work that, that you you want to do. So, um, so I did. I, I chose to do that. And... Uh, Again, uh, really glad I did. The following year, I threw a a massive throw. I went from 61 70, I think, to 65 44. Um, uh, Literally went from 100th in the world to top 10 quite quickly. I think I I finished the season that year, I think 22nd in the world. I won the British trials, uh, which enabled me to get selected for the world championship in Korea. Uh, And then I also won the English trials. Um, too so it's very rare you get athletes to be fair in most events that win both domestic titles um, again that was if i hadn't have done the foundation work and similarly if i hadn't have kind of chosen to rehab i don 't think i would have, I would have achieved those those accolades um, but from a mental perspective it was particularly tough because you have to have um, complete faith and autonomy in terms of how you rehab, um, but also focusing on the end goal. There are lots of opinions and views and demons that will come to you and did come to me during that period. Um, and I think I dealt with it by by just really f- focusing on what I needed to do, just taking it day by day. Um, I knew what I wanted long-term wise, but on a short-term wise, a day-to-day basis, I just focused on the little things i needed to do there were some days in rehab that went really well and there were some days were just absolute agony and i felt like oh this is awful um but a key thing is i just i i, um, I tried to just focus on on the positives because i recognize from from various injuries that you can always come back it's just a mindset in terms of how how you come back and i think once you realize that you can kind of manage your body um, you become very in-tuned with your body and you know what works and what doesn't work. So, and most, most, to be fair, most professional sportsmen and women will always know very quickly as they get older and more mature in the, in the sport and event um, how to get themselves more prepared for what they need to do. So then can I ask, because it's an interesting um,
0: development. So you you, you go from... Disappointment of Commonwealth Games injury, to um, throw in um, 65-44, to then um, uh, the European Athletics Championships in Helsinki, to then the, the, Olympic, uh, the Olympic trials in June in Birmingham, where you finished third, I think, with a throw just under 61.
1: Yeah.
0: um. And that means effectively that you're, you're outside of the automatic selection for um, yep. the, the, the 12 Olympics. Yep. Um, you've got the Olympics coming up in August 12. And in order to get the Olympic qualifying standard, you need to throw, what, 65.24, or that's the throw that you, you did actually throw in the end in, um, in Northwest London. What was how, how late in the day, basically, was this, situation for you to be able to throw um, um, a qualifying standard throw in order to actually make the Olympics in London in your hometown um, a month later.
1: Yeah, that was a, that was a unique year. It, I mean, probably I mean I think it's the first time I think in British history where we've had um, a very competitive discus event. so that year we had Lawrence Okoye, uh, Brett Morse. Carl for myself, um, all the previous year, the previous year had all thrown, if you like, an A standard, which was 65 meters. Um, 2012, I think Carl had thrown an A standard, uh, which is again a 65. Lawrence had thrown the A standard. I hadn't yet, and I think Brett had not yet from memory. Um, and then um, at the trials, as you rightly said, uh, Lawrence won, but Brett was second, I was third but neither Brett or I had the A standard, go to Europeans, didn't throw as well as I'd like. And literally the the competition, I then get flown back into the UK to meet in Northwest London. And it was last chance saloon, um, effectively. Um, so, I mean, if you like, the pressure was on. And I think for me, it was just about reinforcing the work I'd done and really focusing in. Um, it wasn't a case of I couldn't throw it. It was a case of calming down, if I'm honest, just calming down, having faith in the work I've done, um, my ability, and, and just focusing on what I've been doing. Um, that particular year was, was, uh, was, a, was a tough year. Um, I never ever came out and talked about it, but I'd, I'd actually got injured in South, um, in South Africa in January. So I was carrying a hamstring injury, which had healed, but it just kept, it kept niggling. Um and then for me that was although at the back of my mind I was anxious because I wanted to make sure I could one compete and qualify and two make sure I, I um I compete well at the Olympic Games. Um so once I had got to North London, I just said I'm gonna give it my all. Um really, really focused on on my technique, really focused on what I needed to do. And I remember actually every time before I walked into the circle. I'm even doing it now. I, I literally just closed my eyes and visualized what the throw should look like, what a good throw would look like, and what and what I needed to do to get into the position to allow me to do the throw I needed. Um, and th- that visualization was what helped me because as soon as I got in there, all I did was replicate exactly what I'd seen in my mind. Um, and then, uh, rightly said, I, I threw um 65 24 that day I think I also threw a couple of 64s that day which was, which is which is quite pleasing so clearly it was already in there I just needed to um focus so that was that was although it was a stressful period I think it brought out the best out of me um I mean I think I think there's there have been various wise individuals that were saying sometimes being under pressure probably brings the best out of people but I, for me it, it, it definitely does I think um uh, I definitely strive on the pressure i like I like the adrenaline. I think most people involved in sports at any elite level would would probably testify to enjoying that that feeling in the back of your mind where it might go wrong, but equally it might go extremely well um, and whichever way it goes you always just fully commit and that 's exactly what i did and so fast forward a month
0: and you 're there in. Less than a month, in a way, you're there in the Olympic stadium, in front of over eighty thousand people, um, competing for your country um, in the Olympics. I mean, I I don't want to overplay or underplay now, but for me, that like, I think for any any very amateur, very average sportsman like myself, is probably I would have thought one of the most proudest periods of your life, obviously kids and marriage and other things like that, obviously in the mix, but like, you know, knowing and the validation, the positive validation of thinking, you know, all of this was worth it to get me to this stage, to be able to um, share this with all the people and loved ones and for myself to to go and now experience, it must've been something incredibly special.
1: Yeah, I mean it was amazing. Um, it's really weird, actually. I had, uh, I had mixed feelings about the Olympics to begin with. So, um, leading into it, my coach at the time decided that he he actually or, or whether he wasn't enjoying it, he just didn't want to take me to the Olympics anymore. Um, and it was that that came as a massive, massive shock to me uh, because we it's literally we are there's literally me and probably two others in the group. So it's a tiny, small group, very, very close, if you like, family type group. Um, So that year, although I was ecstatic about making a team, I was almost disappointed I couldn't share it with with my coach. Um, I mean, he decided eventually that he'd he'd come along and literally retire from after London 2012. But yeah, I mean, when I got there, oh my goodness, I was I was over the moon. Um, I mean, for me, growing up in an estate. Um, to now compete in my country with my teammates, uh, my club mates. Um, it, was, it, was, it was out of this world. And then and seeing the guys that have been competing against um, globally at the Olympics too, I was pleased for them. For them, it's also a, a massive achievement. Um, and i seeing seen my friends in, across different sports too. It was, it was fantastic. And then, do you know what? Walking into that stadium, um, was was surreal. It was my second time in a stadium. My first was uh, the test event which they did um, in the in the I think Easter period. I think they had the university or university games or something like that. Uh, I think March or April. So I, I went along to the test event just to get a feel of the circle in a stadium. And it, but it was empty. I mean, it was besides the students. So when you walk into a stadium of eighty thousand people with the noise that it comes with. It's electrifying. I mean, I have no hair on my head. All of a sudden, the hair that what little bits that I do got literally stood up. It was, it was absolutely nuts. Um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, I threw just a slightly over 60 meters. Um, and although I was disappointed in my performance, I felt as though I gave it my all and I, I left everything there. Um, and I didn't want to, that's one thing I wanted to come away with, which was the fact that I didn't want to go back thinking I had regrets. Um, I wanted to just literally perform the, the best of my ability in the biggest competition in my view in the world, um, and do myself justice and do my family and my, and my country justice too. Um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed just the whole Olympic movement there. Um, Scenes, a lot of my friends do well. Um, also consoled some of my friends that didn't do as well as they would hope, but just enjoyed the environment. Um, and, and the Olympics is a weird place. I remember doing the mental preparation for it. Uh, and I, I don't know who, I think it was Rebecca Adlinton, but somebody said, it's almost like going to Hollywood and literally you're on the red carpet. And I kid you not, it's literally like that. You see, you see anybody and everybody um, there uh, and I remember the dining hall is literally the size of a, of a football pitch, or maybe a couple of football pitches. It takes you five minutes to walk from one end to another, um, and you just you, it's almost surreal to begin with. And it, it's so that's why the focus and the preparations leading into Olympics is so important because you can easily get very distracted by everything else that's going on around you. Um, and that's that would be absolutely human to do so because there is, there is just so much going on but for me I, I was really pleased because I had obviously my coach saying he didn't really want to be there um, and then just kind of figuring out okay for myself just to re- reinforce the focus that I had been doing for the past few years to make sure I apply myself there and I did um, and um, yeah I think for me part of the reason that I retired in 2014 was after the games um, I had, I, I, I literally broke, snapped my metatarsal in training and in kind of the December, uh, sorry, end of November, 2012. Um, and Judging by the x-ray, it was hanging on by a shoe thread. Um So clearly my body, again, the foundation or the volume, it, it, it just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, operation was successful. Um, everything was fine, um, but uh, a few days later, I had some soreness in my calf, and it turns out I picked up a blood clot in my calf, which had spread very, very quickly to my lungs um, and I was rushed back to hospital because i had some I was experiencing some breathing problems um, and i was, I stayed in hospital for until the week before Christmas. Uh, I was sent home for Christmas and then back in hospital on boxing day just to monitor. The clots um, had various, various tests. Uh, and then for the whole of 2013, I was in uh, Warfarin just to control the clots. So my view was always to come back and uh, compete. I was excited. 2014 would be a good year. Come again, back in the UK, in Scotland, Europeans in Zurich, uh, working for a Swiss organization. It was massive appeal to me determined to come back and in my mind I thought okay clearly my body wanted to shut down so I was thinking okay we've got the world championships in the UK I'd like to do Rio maybe shut down after Rio Um, but when I did return back into training um, November 2013 my my foot just wasn't the same Um, in terms of pivoting I had reduced radius, um, so I almost had to manufacture my technique a little bit more than I would have liked and whilst it wouldn't have been impossible, it just—I think my body at the time was just telling me, perhaps um, time was up, and then hence why I retired in, um, in 2014.
0: So very, yeah, as it's, well, it's fascinating. And and that mindset then takes you from—you've always, obviously, already been in the professional sphere because you had been the professional um, working sphere because you'd been in between working a certain amount of days a week and then going to Loughborough and doing. And at that point, did that make that transition a little bit easier to full-time sort of pro- professional life um, and that mindset switch to a degree? And how, how, I've spoken to quite a lot of athletes at different times, um, and I ask this question only because it's, I always get interesting answers from it, is that a lot of the validation or the identity that a lot of athletes have is in their performance for the things that they've given up quite a lot of their lives to be able to do i.e. I'm only as good as my run, my sprint, my time, my distance, and their identity becomes very much um, wrapped up in the success or relative success um, of of the outward projection. H- how did you feel after a while? I don't want to turn this into a psychology session, far from it, sorry. <laughs> but how did you feel from you know, that finite end to then going, you know what, this is the next chapter in my life. I'm feeling prepared for it. Actually, I feel in like almost in a way like you had that foundation when you were building yourself up to be a discus thrower. How did you feel that you were building that foundation to pivot into the, the professional, you know, services setting?
1: Um, to be honest with you, worried, terrified, which stands uniquely weird given the fact that I was already in that space um as an athlete you don't think about retirement not at least till towards the latter stage of your career um and at that time I thought I'd recover and just literally go again so having it kind of not necessarily forced on me but my body telling me it's not quite there uh it just felt weird um I remember when I did it, as in kind of confirmed that I was retiring and, and then headed back into the office, I just couldn't sit still. I literally kept walking around. Um, I remember when my colleagues giving me banter the fact that I just couldn't sit still. Um, but I just, I, I think it took me a while to just accept that I was no longer going to be throwing discus on a regular basis and that my new home would be an office, a chair, a monitor, a keyboard, and a mouse. Um, and during that period, I actually wanted to distance myself away from athletics. Um, I didn't speak to many athletes. I didn't um, I didn't engage in a sport. I didn't I didn't want to even be near it. Um, I don't know. I think I was angry to begin with that I couldn't I didn't I didn't um, go on, and I think I was frustrated. Eventually, when things settled against more wins, um, I realized i'm I'm pretty one of the lucky ones. reason reasons being um I got to fulfill my dream, which was compete for my country, I uh, major championships, and also go to the Olympic Games, and I had the bonus of an Olymp- a home Olympic Games. Um, I also, unfortunately, in a a sense that I was able to transition into almost seamlessly to be fair into another career in finance, um, which gave me a, a number of opportunities as a consequence of my performances and accolades in sport. So I started realizing that I should be grateful as opposed to be frustrated. Um, but that period takes some time of acceptance and almost some time of just sitting there and actually thinking about what you have as opposed to what you don't and what you'd like to. I mean, don't get me wrong, um, I would have liked to have thrown the discuss a lot more, however, I, I I accepted very, not long after that, do you know what, I can still, be involved in a sport that I love in a different way. Um, and that's exactly what I did. Once I'd realized that uh, I'm comfortable with retirement and I'm comfortable in the work I'm doing in, uh, in the finance and I knew what direction I wanted to go in finance thereafter that, because at the time I was working in the investment bank, very transactional, um, covering fixed income equities, um, and it was, it was great so but following the games and, and learning about just different sports i knew i wanted to carve my career in, in wealth in wealth wealth management specifically and as a consequence of that i was able to maneuver into the private bank um because if i'm honest as a consequence of what i've done contributed from my sports world. so once i'd done that i realized that okay even though I'm doing this in sport, I'd still like to be close to athletics. And that's when I started thinking about how to help other athletes. Because, as I say, I was very lucky in the sense that I already had a job in banking. And even if I hadn't, at least I had some industry experience. So hopefully I would have been able to win an opportunity somewhere. Um, And I realized that many of my peers who were coming out of 212 and 213 only had nothing but sports on their, on their CV. And some of these athletes were incredibly, incredibly talented and won medals across many, many different championships. So I came up with the idea of trying to partner with a number of my contacts in industry to help them let them be my, my friends in sport, transition into industry, providing opportunities for mentoring or, or, or any sort of support. And I, I really, really love that. Um, because I could see the actual tangible benefits. I could see the athlete's mental health getting better. Um, And for me, that was was almost like winning, if you like, for me. As a consequence of that, I then thought about then maybe joining more boards, uh, sporting boards, to try and shape and change the way uh, we do things. Um, And... Luckily enough, uh, I got on the uh, UK Athletics Commission uh, board, um, along with many of my other colleagues in in athletics. And one of my main passions, still my passion today, is the ability for athletes to be able to transition out of sport or at least get um, support to enable them to transition out of sport. Where athletes, like many other amateur sports, amateur amateur loosely, um, don't earn the the sums that, say, if you like, an NBA basketball player or a, a footballer in the UK or an American footballer in the US. Um, don't earn large sums of money. So at some point in your life as an athlete, you're going to have to get back into some sort of industry, whether that be coaching, plumber, teacher, banker, lawyer, um, at some stage of your life. And all I wanted to do was create a a forum or a space, a safe space where athletes can be vulnerable and say, I'm really stuck, don't know what to do, could really do with your help, um, and have that place where like, they can have that honest, open conversation such that we'd be able to plug them into an environment where it helps them um, transition. Um, and, uh, yeah, i still doing that now, and I, I thoroughly love it. Well, mate, there's one
0: thing we can talk about there. I'd love to be able to help with that type of stuff as well, which might be for a discussion we can have (laughs) offline. But I want to apologise because I said this was only going to be a 25 minute, -er, but actually, fantastically, and because I've been absolutely enthralled by the stuff and the stories you've said, it's gone on a bit longer than than I expected. And I hope that's okay for you. But if it's all right, I'm just going to ask you one more question, which we usually ask all of our um, guests as we're finishing um, up and this isn't to put you on the spot or anything otherwise, but what we, what I always like asking um, people and generally people that are motivated, that are process-driven, that generally are positive, that uh, are inspirational and everything else that goes with it um, is usually it comes um, um, intrinsically, but also you sometimes need some extrinsic, some um, outward motivation stuff that you consume, things that you read, um, podcasts that you listen to, um, uh, content that you've consumed, etc. Very brief. Well, it can be as long as you want. Actually, is there anything that you've read, um, listened to, uh, watched um, that you've really enjoyed? Either it could be just because you like switching um, or something, or the exact yeah, option.
1: yeah. I mean, can I kick off by saying I enjoyed Don duel? Does that help?
0: It does. Wait, wait. Product
1: placement. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I mean, your book, Dundee, um Apart from Dundeeel. Yeah, so Dundeeel, I mean, I really, really enjoyed your book. Um, I, I mean, I, I refer to it quite a lot, but I think, so your book certainly has definitely helped. Um, it's a book, uh, Rebel Ideas. I um, really, that. really like that book. Matthew one, yeah. Yeah, Matthew Saeed, just his books in general. Um, reasons because it's just thinking differently. Um I think uh, sometimes when you're in an environment where everybody's kind of doing the same thing, you get you get caught up. Um uh, and it by no means is anything wrong with that, but sometimes questioning the status quo or thinking how, how can we do something differently or more efficiently or or just take a different approach. And it takes quite a brave person to just say, actually, no, I'd like to do it this way. Um and and, and, and it, it gets back into almost that uncomfortable position. And I think it takes me back to my athlete days because as an athlete, you're never comfortable because there's someone always, always coming after you, right? What to throw, throw further than you, jump further than you, run faster than you. So I like being, at times, quite uncomfortable because it just forces me to think differently, uh, think of different ideas, be more creative, um, and, that, that um, and also, oddly enough, I mean, it's probably quite fashionable, Jay Shetty, in terms of his, his um, just mental approach, just the simpler things in life, and just putting things in perspective. We, we and, and myself included, just, you, you get very caught up with just the noise and distractions. So as much as possible, I tried to be careful more so now particularly been working from home uh, with the type of content i consume Um, because i think the nature of what you consume is sadly sometimes what you bring out so and inadvertently you don't even realize you're doing it um so i I try and consume uh items that one i enjoy or, or or stuff that will bring out more positive thoughts um, things that get me to think differently or, or challenge differently, uh, things a little more encouraging. Um, I think we've we've also two two young kids. What you want to try and do with, I mean, there's plenty of distractions that they're going to, plenty of noise they're going to be uh, meeting at some point in their lives. But what you want to try and do, or at least for me, is try and create that safe space for them so they realise that positivity, positivity, and actually thinking positive will yield positive results. If you're negative, you think, oh, I'm going to fail it, I'm going to fail it, I'm going to fail it. Well, guess what? You might just do that. Um, But if you think, okay, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to attack it, I'm going to try my best, Um, nine times out of ten, it yields a result that is positive. Um, And that's how I try and do it. I mean, there's no kind of formula to say that uh, out there that I know of. Um, And I think most athletes will probably uh, say the same thing. We have positive mindsets. You don't go into a, a big squat, a big bench or a big dumbbell press or whatever it is thinking I'm not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. You go in there thinking, I'm going to attack this and I'm going to make sure I get it. And guess what? You get it. Yeah. Um, and similarly, when you're in the blocks in the starting race, you say to yourself, I'm going to push the blocks really hard. As soon as the gun goes, I'm out of those blocks. I'm, I'm, my first step is going to be exactly where I want it to be. And and I'm sure nine times out of 10, it will be. So, it's the same. It's the same kind of thought process that I try and apply. Uh, I think that the, the challenge, the challenge I think in in industry versus sport is um, sometimes in industry there are other people, other stakeholders that have a general pull in a direction you 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 go. Whereas as an as a professional sportsman or woman, you have almost complete autonomy, certainly in athletics. Autonomy in terms of the direction you go. So I pick my coach, I pick my physios, I pick my therapists, etc., etc. Um, in my environment, um, I don't pick my colleagues. Um, I don't pick, um, to some degree, sometimes even my clients, uh, because the way things align. Sometimes, um, and 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 whilst you accept that, you work with it. So rather than being negative about it, you try and be positive and think about how you can create new opportunities. Um, and what and i what i've seen has been because of the mere fact that we've got this kind of building this alumni network for athletes the momentum from it has been honestly astonishing at the support i have received in terms of actually we recognize this is something we need but we also recognize the fact that actually it'd be good to have a database of all our athletes such that we can just appreciate some of the legends we've had i mean as I say, when I first started Fled, my first memory was like Linford. Would you believe in 2011, I was on a plane with Linford to Korea. Uh, he was coaching, I was sat there with him. I was like, I said to him, look, you, I would literally watched you and I, I wanted to be as a thrower. And here we are, I'm sat with my hero. So to some extent for me, it was a dream come true. I'm sat with somebody that I watched on TV for many, many years, winning, winning medals. And here I am as an athlete sitting next to this guy Having a cup of tea and discussing athletics and putting the world to rights. So, look, I get. I guess for me, it's it's just 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 being positive, um, being being around positive people, changing your environment, um, being being aware of the stuff you consume. I, I I enjoy. I've never. I mean, I've always enjoyed reading, but since lockdown, I've really really enjoyed just consuming as much information, positive information as possible. Um, and social media clearly is, is, a, is a one place of capturing a lot of this but i think social media with all these ills um if you don't pull away or know when to pull away you could easily get quite caught up in it yeah. so um i now restrict the amount of social media i do uh, and literally read what i need to read and get back to just focusing on some positive things
0: great ends to a fantastic really interesting talk mate thank you so much for for coming on to talk, and I think this could be the first of um, a few little discussions that we'll have on various things. So, thank you again, and um, yeah, so much for 30 minutes, it's turned into an hour, but probably one of the most interesting hours I've had in a long time. So, thanks again, mate.
1: Oh, um, thank you very much for having me, appreciate it.
2: Thanks for listening to the Sheridan Sport Backpage podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sheridan Sport. And also subscribe to our Backpage blogs and previous podcast episodes. You can also share ideas and connect with us individually on Twitter and LinkedIn. Feel free to get in touch with one of the team. Andrew, Dan, Chris, Johnny, Alex, Sarah, Ryan and Elle. Finally, the Backpage podcast is powered by Milestone a mental health charity aimed at tackling setbacks through sport and in turn helping to normalise the conversation around mental health. To learn more about Milestone and its aims and how you can get involved, visit teammilestone.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at milestone.uk or Twitter at milestone UK. Thanks for listening.